The kids are coming for us, Kate. The terms are changing oh, all the time. I identify as pangender and pansexual. Those terms are going to be like long gone in five years. They'll have yeah. some new stuff to tell us and we'll be like, okay, really, tell us more. Welcome to Sex, Body and Soul. I'm Kate Roberts, founder of The Body Agency. And on this show, we talk about the marvel that is our bodies, what they can do and what they need to thrive. Ladies out there, our time is now. Let's get to it. We now have joining us the incredible Barb Morrison. They is an amazing American recording artist, top five billboard dance chart songwriter, and platinum record producer for numerous artists such as Blondie, my fave, and they has composed the soundtrack to this podcast. And so we're going to talk about do we really need sexual labels, gender labels, and how to navigate through the difficult task of understanding all the latest terminology. I am so thrilled to welcome Bob onto the show. Bob Morrison is in the house. I am so excited about this, Bob. You are a total rock star, literally. You have composed the music for this podcast, so all our listeners have heard your talent themselves. And I'm so excited having you and being willing to talk about this very sensitive subject of labeling our sexuality and you have taught me so much since I've known you. And so thank you for being so open. As I have said to the listeners, you know, I'm a little nervous. I don't want to mess up. I want to be as revealing and as respectful as possible. But you've sent me on the research train. I have done my research. And as per usual, I will ask you things that come to mind and you can tell me off when it's too much. So... Welcome to the show, Bob. Thanks, Kate. So excited. Thank You're you. an amazing human being. Thanks. And I cannot wait. So you have had this incredible life. I've been reading your story. Grew up in New York, punk rock, drugs, rock and roll. I'm sure you hung out with Madonna. In fact, I'm sure you've hung out with everyone and got up to all sorts of mischief. But I'd like to take it a little bit further back, if I may, and ask you, what it was like growing up in your own body. Okay, that's an interesting question to start with, Kate. So I just also I want to start before I tell the story, I want to start and commend you for like opening up on this podcast about like things you might not be educated on and being willing to like have the conversation and, uh, you know, learn stuff. So I'll, as we go along, I, you know, I'll help and I'm learning as well. So growing up in my body, you know, I have similar experience to a lot of trans folk and also some unique experiences. So I don't speak for all trans people and I don't speak for all non-binary people, but something that was very similar that I've heard a lot is that I just didn't fit in my body. I kept waiting for my body to change. I kept waiting for my body to be like my older brothers, to be the body so I could go in the boys' room so that I wouldn't get called out if I was playing sports with the boys, you know? And that just was, like, confusing to me. I, I I felt crazy. And little kids shouldn't feel crazy. I felt like, you know, I just felt like a crazy person. So then puberty hit, and um, the other girls that I was hanging out with, I was a late bloomer, so they were all happening before I was. But um, they were all getting ready to, you know, get these push-up bras 
And they had this, you know, they had this thing like that's how they were going to get the boys to like them. And it was just so weird to me. I was like, the boys already like me. Like, I don't have to do that. stuff. Like, I'm already out playing football with them. Like, okay, I'll just go along with what you're all doing. So I tried. And it wasn't that it felt awful to me. The drag felt awful. The garb felt awful. You know, I did not identify with wearing those clothes. But the the activity itself was like, I was fine with like making out with boys and stuff like that. It just wasn't the way the girls were doing it. So that was also confusing to me because I would hear the girls talk about it and I'd just be like, wow, this just seems so different for me. So my body just, as it grew, it started like defeating me, you know, and it was heartbreaking. So I just did what a lot of trans people do. I turned to drugs and alcohol and um, just numbed out until, you know, I'm, I'm going to be 32 years sober in December. Wow. Congratulations. Amazing. Yeah. Absolutely amazing. Congratulations. Let me quickly ask you with your parents. I remember you saying to me that the only term that you could really relate to when you were that age was being a lesbian. And so that's the bucket that you put yourself in until things started to develop and more terms. And we'll go through all the different terms that there are a lot hard to keep up with. Every day a new term comes along and we're like, okay, is that? It's hard for me. Yeah. (laughs) In fact, I'm really wanting to get into you the difference between queer and gay and pansexual and the cis society and all these different terms that we'll get straight. But my, my question to you is when you, let's say, were identifying as a lesbian, because that was the only place that you could go. Did you talk to your parents about it? No, I grew, reaction? I, I grew up in an Irish Catholic family. I mean, we had a picture, a framed picture of the Pope on the wall in the living room, you know. So mm-hmm. there was no, you know, there was the only thing that we had was making fun of gay people. That's all we had. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I certainly didn't look. They could clearly see that I was queer as a 10 year old. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. but I didn't speak to them about it. So I, you know, I found the lesbian community in New York City. I had already had a boyfriend at that point. Wasn't turned off by him. He was fine. We loved each other. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. I fit better in the lesbian community because I thought I was a butch woman. Yeah. It never felt right to be called that. Even saying it out loud, I'm like, nah, that wasn't, that wasn't me. So Mm -hmm. this was the 80s. We didn't have terms like non-binary. We only had transsexual. You were transitioning from one gender to another very strictly in the binary. There were Mm. only a handful of people that were loosely gendered. Um, The singer Sylvester from the 70s, I don't know if you know who he is. They are. I'm I'm assuming they're dead now. But the song that goes, Oh, yeah. Love that. Sylvester was clearly. <laughs> nice singing. It clearly in the middle. Clearly. But this that was the 70s. Sylvester didn't have a mm. word for it, you know. But Sylvester was presenting as clearly non-binary. But we just mm. didn't have anything, you know, we had making yeah. fun of it. That's it. So when the so, term came along, I was relieved, let me tell you. Yeah, 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 yeah. Now, talking of pop culture and what's been in the media, you were very kind and you directed me to watch Disclosure on Netflix. And it was so, oh, enlightening. I felt like a light bulb went off for me. So it was really great research. And I would recommend for everybody to really look into that. But, you know, pop culture, 
from also my own memory of looking at, you know, black and white film where the drag queen or the transgender person was ridiculed. Yeah. And so I, I was actually on a walk with my, my neighbor this morning and we were talking about the show and, you know, she recently had her daughter come to her, who's 13, and say, you know, she's not sure about her own sexuality. And anyway, we got into this whole thing about the stigma attached to it. It's so stigmatized. And we both realized that that actually has come from pop culture and media. And I'm watching Disclosure showed me how both womanhood and the trans society has been mocked for generations in the media. Talk to me about that. Because I, for me, when I saw that, really the penny dropped. And I realized how hard it must be and with the stigma associated to it. And I finally feel that we're breaking through. We like, are breaking like, through. We are breaking, breaking through. through. I mean, the show This Is Us, which is like the most common, like everyday yeah. show on NBC, they have now a trans character, a, a kid, Amazing. a teenager that's a trans character. So I never thought I would see this stuff in my lifetime ever. The only positive, I think they talk about this on Disclosure, the only positive trans character that we saw represented was Bugs Bunny and drag <laughs> where Elmer Fudd looked at Bugs Bunny with hearts hearts coming out of his face and that's really everything else was a criminal a, you know a murderer or a psychopath or somebody to make fun of and so I didn't have you know look I saw David Bowie on Saturday Night Live very trans looking when I was less than a teenager, younger, and yep. I went, I'm not crazy. I went, oh, my God, yeah. I'm not crazy. So, I mean, look, there's a lot to be unpacked here. The journey yeah. is different for everybody. You know, I think we've come a long way. But like we were just saying, there's, the terms are very important to learn, and there's always new ones. So we can talk about that stuff, but um, I'm grateful that I've lived to see the change. Yeah. On, on TV. Yeah, the, ch the change in social media. You know, I, I think you saw yesterday that Instagram announced that you can put your gender down and it's all there. You just have to, you know, you can be non-binary. You can be anything you want. Right. Which is phenomenal. And by the way, I went ahead and did that. And it translates across all your social media. When you do it with Instagram, it then does it for you on Facebook and LinkedIn and all the rest of it. So wow, right? Wow, what a moment. <laughs> and and um, Kate, you should, you know, it's it's important to get in the habit of saying, and my pronouns are, so yours are? She and her. Right, and mine are they, them. So never assume what people's pronouns are. That's the thing, is that you could be presenting a certain way, but those aren't like okay. maybe your pronouns. So that's a really big key in all of this, is like never assume what people's pronouns yeah. are, you know? Now, it is hard for, I'll talk on behalf of myself, but I know my friends from the CIS Society struggle with this as well. It's it's hard to remember the they and them. Um, um, I want to just stop you so that your, your listeners yeah. know what you mean. You're not saying SIS because you're very female empowered over here. So you're not saying SIS. You're, I'm saying CIS. And which, which means cisgender means, and I'm just going to say this for your listeners, cisgender is the gender that you were assigned at birth is the one you identify with. 
Yes. So I wouldn't be considered cisgendered because I don't identify. I was assigned female at birth and I don't identify it with it, even though I do throw in a little eyeliner once in a while. Well, I know I, I noticed you were wearing eyeliner and I was like, I was kind of flattered for a second. I thought it was just for me. It's but, strictly yeah. a rock and roll move. Am I so rock and roll? So, so what you were saying about cis. So I'm saying about cis, it's it's hard for me when I'm talking to you to remember the the them, they to say it, which is awful and I've got to train myself and then I will correct myself. How does that make you feel? Um, how does the fact that you will have to correct yourself? I'm going to mess up. I'm okay. going to mess up. Okay. Again, like I said, I'm not like the common, I don't feel like I'm the common non-binary person and I joke yeah. about things and I joke with people and I say, oh, I picked they, them because it's the most. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm a lot. Because I'm a lot. I'm more than plural. Point. I'm much more than plural. But for people to mess up is fine as long as, like, you know, don't make a big deal out of it. Just say, oh, sorry, I meant they. And if we want to have the conversation, that's fine. It also says a lot about, and I find this interesting for myself because mm-hmm. I am mm-hmm. guilty of it. I don't like to use the word guilty, but I, I do this thing where mm-hmm. I pin my own projection on someone and then I gender them. So, for instance, Mm. I did a record with Asia Kate Dillon. That's a non-binary person who is an actor on the show Billions. Mm -hmm. And, of course, they're they, them. I'm they, them. I worked with them for months. And then one night, right before the studio, I'd been working with Asia for months. And the night before, one of the nights before I went in the studio, I saw them on TV. And they were very femme in their presentation. Earrings, Mm. blouse some glitter on their face. Wouldn't you know, the next day I went into the studio and I sheed them. Ooh, I sheed them. Outrageous behavior. You sheed them. So, I mean, it has to do with your projection on the person. So yeah. this is a lot to, also a lot to unpack. I had a girlfriend who, I won't give away too much because I don't want to give away her identity, but she was an academic and everyone would be okay with she, she, she about her. She was a trans woman. Everyone would be okay with she, she, she. The minute she would outdo the boys in academia, they would start heeing her. Wow. And this has to do with the patriarchy, and this has to do with feminism, and this has to do with, you know, girls can't be smarter than boys. So it's a very interesting thing to look at. Well, you know, you and I have talked about this, but millennials today are, and this is where the change is going to come, right? So millennials on my team at the at the body agency are absolutely obsessed with being just very open about gender and all inclusive and, you know, intersectionality and you name it. But it is a millennial thing. This it, my father didn't act in that way. My brother didn't act in that way. This is a millennial thing. And this this is why I can see that change is happening and happening really, really, really quickly. And so I think this podcast is is going to be very, very educational for people of our age, right? And I'm sure I'm older than you, but... No, I think I'm know, older I'm so, than you, Kate. No, 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 no. You're a spring chicken and you wear eyeliner, for God's sakes. I don't every okay. day. Uh, I was just uh, feeling <laughs> myself today, babes. <laughs> oh, feeling yourself. Okay, well, we love that. <laughs> 
Love that other body agency. All right, let me fire some questions at you. What is the difference between queer and gay? Okay, so I'll keep this brief because this could be this could be a two-hour conversation. Yep. Gay yep. is in the binary. Gay means I am attracted to the gender that I am. Or, you know, like if if I'm if I identify as male and I'm identify I am attracted to males. So it's that mm-hmm. simple. Like gay is okay. like I'm attracted to the same gender. That's it. It's just yeah. binary, yeah. you know? Whereas queer is a little more open. I think it's a bit more hip of a term. I mean, I just, mm-hmm. when when I met my wife and she was like, I identify as a queer femme, I was like, great. She's like, she's got like, you know, she's got the lingo and she understands yeah. like who she is. Um, so queer is like a little bit more like outside the binary means, you know, maybe I might be non-binary. I might be cis, but I also am attracted to many different things. Mm. That's why you're a complicated non-binary human by the way, because, you know, you did tell me you were pro the penis. You love your vagina. And, you know, it's a little complicated down there, isn't it? So it's not really complicated down there. <laughs> no, well, I don't mean that. I mean, but for you, as in you've experienced all of it and you fall in love with the person, not the parts. Well, before we get into this, let's also let's tell the listeners like it's I've already given you permission to talk to me like this. Yes. Thank so you. for a trans or non-binary person, it is excruciatingly important to make sure that it's okay to talk like this. Because these are the questions that, like, because we grew up, like, disassociating from our body and it was a pain point for us, a lot of us don't like to talk about it. I'm okay with it. Thank you for making that clarification. And it's just important because a lot of people will blurt out at a party. Oh, you're non-binary. Does that mean you got the operation? You know, you can't say stuff like that. But um, so so get back to that. It's actually not that complicated, Kate, because, you know, I fall in love with people. I'm attracted to people. So that's not that complicated. Sometimes I think it's more complicated to be cis and to be hetero. Totally. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. So two questions. First, I follow you on Instagram and I see that you have been posting some pictures of the fact that you did have top surgery. I'm interested to know why you're putting it out there. And secondly, tell us about your recent trip to the dermatologist. Ah, okay. That was just yesterday. Uh, so first, yeah. why why am I putting my pictures out there? Um, so... One of the things growing up was I was really, really jealous that boys got to walk around with just shorts on. It killed me. I was like, why can't we do that? And I didn't fit in my body. I didn't associate with my breasts when they came at puberty. I always thought that I would just have a have a flat chest. That That's it. And again, I can't speak for other trans people. I can only speak for myself, but... I feel proud of it. I feel I got the surgery and I immediately, all my dysphoria went away. Dysphoria for your listeners means, you know, you're having a non-identification with your physical body. And you go out into the world and you're just like, I don't look right in clothes. I don't feel, I just don't feel right. So when I got, I've only, I have had my top surgery less than a year and I, I already feel like so much different. I feel, I don't know if you saw the Oprah and Elliot Page interview. 
I don't know how to get it. I'm dying to watch it. There's a moment where Elliot talks and really wells up, and I started crying too, about the fact that, like, just putting on a T-shirt feels so much different after top surgery. You just put on the T-shirt and you're like, I feel like a human being that got to put on a T-shirt. And I can't stress this enough to a person that's not having this experience, but it's really, it's really like life altering. And so that's why I posted on my Instagram, you know, I know a lot of the young trans guys, I don't identify as like a trans guy. I'm a non-binary person. But I know a lot of the trans guys are very, the younger trans guys are like super like proud of their scars and all that. And I was watching these kids do it. And I was like, this is so rad that like everybody's just like, yeah, this is me. So I was just like, why would I had to question myself? I was like, why would I not post these? And I had the conversation with Jamie, my wife, and I was like, would you feel weird if I posted like a topless, like a shirtless? It wouldn't be topless as a male. It would be shirtless, right? That would be the term would be shirtless, not topless. And I said, do you you feel weird about me posting a shirtless? Because I'm kind of contemplating this. And she was like, no, I think that it's like hot. I think it's sexy. And I think like, you you know, if you're proud of it, go for it. So I had that green light. I had the support. Again, I think, you know, we talked about this before. It's like I've gotten to see my beauty through her eyes. You know, and that's been really, really nice because like the relationship that I was in right before her, I did not. Wow. So it's just been a blessing. So, yeah, of course, I'm going to post stuff like, I'm, you know, I'm proud of my chest. You know, I have a good operation. It looks great. I feel free. I can't wait to get out on the beach. You know, I finally fit in my body. I think if you saw on my Instagram, Kate, I said when I first wrote it, the first one that I posted, I said, this is a picture of a person who finally feels right in their body. I saw that. And, oh, Bob, we just don't have enough time to talk about this. I I have a million questions for you. We're going to have to do podcasts one, two, and three. But I guess my question would be, why did you wait so long to get your surgery? So part of it, I hate to get political about this, was that I didn't have access to health care for a bunch of my life. So it's an expensive surgery. So That's, I mean, that's it in a nutshell. There's other reasons, but I had the support of my wife, which was beautiful. And like I said, I was in a relationship right before her when this topic came up with my ex. They were not supportive at all. Luckily, I'm not in that relationship anymore. But like, you know, there are many factors to why people don't get it. So I got it. That's I I have it and I'm happy and it's great. So so I have a 10 year old daughter. And she came home one day and we were chit-chatting and I very casually said, well, do you think you like boys or girls? And she looked at me and she goes, I don't know yet, mommy. Well, she put you in your place. (laughs) That was a mic drop. (laughs) I mean, seriously, I I keep getting this out. This is for the listeners. I have a um, vulva puppet in my hand. And I get this out and she's like, oh, mommy, put it away. There she goes again. But my question to you is, as a, I don't know if you're a parent or not. I'm not. Uh, not. You're not? Not that I know of. (laughs) You'd know, babe. You'd know. (laughs) Believe you me. As a parent, it's so hard, right? We want to do the right thing. We want to be supportive. But when my daughter said that to me, I was just like, okay, 
cool. Yeah, but Kate, that, mean, that means you're doing the right thing. That means you're, you're being a good parent because she felt safe enough to say that to you. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess I'm not the usual parent. I mean, I'm, I'm the, the parent that walks around naked, you know, with my tampon string hanging out because I just want her to ask me, what's that? And of course she does. And I'm like, oh, that's a tampon. This is what happens. I get my, my puppet out again. I'm like, this is how you put it in. So when she's ready to have her period, it's not, she doesn't think she's dying like most girls around the world because their parents haven't spoken to them. But this point about parenting and being a parent to whatever sexuality your child decides, I think you can also help them along the way. What would be your advice to parents? Answer very honestly and the way she answered you, which is like in like short sentences, call body parts by their names, by their mm. real names, so that when they want to ask questions, they can ask direct questions. The thing about kids, I don't know because I don't have kids, but what I've noticed is that, you know, they want directness. They don't want you to like mm. beat around the bush. They don't want they want directness. So if you mm. give them a succinct answer, they're gonna that's gonna be okay with them. I mean, you know, a friend of mine, he had a really super, super old dad, and he said something to him. This was back in the 70s. He said, Oh, there's these two guys that were kissing on the street, Dad. Why do you think this is literally back in like 1977? There are two guys kissing on the street. Why do you think they did that? And the old man said to my friend, they must like each other. And that's it. That's all people, wow. you know. That's all they need to know. You know, it's like it's so like kids want just like direct. And believe Mm -hmm. me, the kids are coming for us, Kate. They're going to be, you know, the the terms are changing all the time. I mean, the fact that like I'm like I identify as pangender and pansexual. Those terms are going to be like long gone in five years. They'll have some new stuff to tell us and we'll be like, okay, really tell us more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we're writing about it right now in the body agency and I'd love to run everything by you to make sure that it's correct and and appropriate. So talking about appropriate, when I was watching Disclosure, there was a clip on Oprah actually asking somebody, so where do you stuff your penis? Now, is that offensive? Uh, I don't think that was Oprah. I think that was somebody else. I don't know. It was? It was Oprah? I'm so shocked that Oprah would say something like that. No, but she did it in a way that was human, like she was just being curious. But, you know, it gets back to what is appropriate? Because I don't think this ever comes from a bad place with some people, right? And others, it's clear it's coming from a bad place of just being completely and utterly racist, rude, like whatever it may be. But but what is acceptable to ask? Because people, of course, are curious. So that's definitely not an acceptable question. Most Things about genitalia are not like you really have to get permission because, like I said to you, it was a source of wanting to commit suicide for most of us. Oh, my gosh. So, you know, I'm super happy about like I'm okay talking about it and I'm glad that like um, female empowerment is speaking up about it now. Like, you know, we saw like the birth of like, you know, the vagina monologues and all that stuff. Like, I'm glad people are talking about things like that, but cis people have the privilege to do that. Trans Mm -hmm. people, if you're going to think about that conversation, that is a very, very particular 
It's just a particular thing for each person you're asking and certainly not in a social situation. Mm, mm. You know, like not at a party. You don't say like, have you got the surgery? You know, like that's not. Yeah. It's just not, not cool. okay. Yeah. Not Only because cool. we've struggled so much. We've all struggled okay. so much, you know? it's So if you get close to somebody and you say, like, hi, I would really like to know, like, what's off limits to talk about, some people are okay talking about it. Just get the permission is what you're saying. Ask for permission. And I think that's great communication. At the end of the day, 80% of Americans don't know a trans person, have, have never met them. 80%. So you look around the world. I mean, I've traveled extensively with the work that I've done around sexual reproductive health and HIV and, you know, all these diseases. My goodness, you get beheaded in Saudi Arabia. I mean, people don't even know enough about HIV. So I commend you for doing that work, Kate. Yeah. Because people don't even know. I mean, I've I've had two partners. I've had two long-term partners that were HIV positive. And I didn't even realize how ignorant people were about that. Yeah. You know, it's just so I commend you for that. I mean, that's amazing that you're doing that work. Thank you. Talking of which, look what came in the mail to me this morning. I'm holding up a a lemon flavored oral dam and a grape flavored oral dam. What, What do you think of these then? Have you ever used one? I tried one. I mean, the two people that I was in relationships with that were HIV positive did not have vaginas. So I, you know, I've tried them with people, but like, I don't, it's like the condom thing. It's like, you know, oh, I can't feel as good or whatever. Mm But so, I mean, it, you know, it wasn't for me. I didn't, I'm not like, oh yeah, let's use one of those. I just never really had to, but you know, I'm sure they're useful for people Mm -hmm. that need them. Look, I grew up in the eighties, Kate. So like, you know, I, I was in the highest risk group when AIDS happened. I was in the highest risk group because I was having sex in the mid 80s with gay men and transgender women. So that was the highest risk group. So, you know, I was strictly condoms. I was strictly condoms. I mean, I didn't have sex with a person without a condom until I was in my almost late 40s, mid 40s. And how was that negotiation? Were you able to quickly negotiate condom use? Because that's one of the biggest barriers. People don't want to use condoms, even when they are HIV positive. We all were so scared. We're talking about 1985. We, you know, we were all so scared. Our friends were getting a cold, going to the hospital and not coming home. So we were all so scared. And I, like I just said to you at the beginning of the podcast, I was a full-fledged drug addict and I still managed condoms. Wow. I mean, I managed condoms every time. I was like, I did not know what sex felt like without a condom till my mid-40s. Wow. Good for you. It kept you safe. Yeah, we were scared. We were really scared. So, you know, these kids don't understand what happened. It was a, it was like a complete genocide. Like, you know. Yeah. But if you can imagine how difficult it's been for you when I've traveled to these different countries around the world, there are underground societies for transgender, lesbian, gay, queer, and they are terrified of coming out into society and talking about who they are. And it was just heartwarming to see the the various efforts that we had associated with to have access to those marginalized groups just for condoms. But I can assure you the struggle is real and you know, we're a small part of the world, but what's going on in different parts of the world is frightening. We could do a whole podcast on that, Kate. 
you know, but back to back to labels. <laughs> well, yeah, labels, fear. Let's talk about fear. I think that, you know, you said this to me that the reaction from people that you get and society in general is fear-based. Wouldn't you agree? It is fear you're, towards trans people, you're saying. Yes. Well, I, I think towards any anybody that is different to how you identify. I think I that mean, that my, just boils down to, again, their reflection within themselves. They're seeing yeah. something that they're scared of in themselves, so it makes them want to, I mean, there's actually, there's a law in some states called trans panic or the gay panic law. Are you aware of this? Where you can murder someone no. and get off in the court of law. You can say, I had a thing called trans panic. I found out they were trans and I panicked. And, you know, there's, I don't know how many states that's left in, but there's definitely a handful of states that it's legal <laughs> you know, like wow so it's fear That's it's horrendous yeah it's horrendous i mean it's you know gay panic trans panic is a real thing and um you know it's what people don't want to look at within themselves and like i said i'm constantly looking at how i view it like when i said i misgendered someone i just want to do my own self exploration with that and say mm. like wow why did i view them as female that day that's odd you know, yeah, so it's all like yeah. just like doing your own so that you're not scared so that you can get past the fear. You know, in a, in a way, it's just like HIV. For HIV, we had to change behavior. We had to educate people. We had to change their behavior. We had to get African men to wear condoms, which they had never done. And it was mass, mass, mass communication. And then when we heard that a circumcised African man was 60% less likely to contract HIV or pass it on, we then had to get grown African men who've never been circumcised, it's not part of the culture in Africa, to get circumcised. So if we can do that en masse around the world, we can change behavior around gender and gender identification. I mean, right there, um, you just said a mouthful. It's like it's, you know, that's even a whole, that's a whole debate. These are a lot of different topics. Yeah. Well, I get very sad because one of my best friends is gay. He is a male gay man and his family, very religious. And, you know, they give to the church. And I can't remember what church it is, but the church that they are part of, they're absolutely anti-homosexuality. And he cannot understand how his parents are giving money to this church who's with the church persecuting him and it's created a massive rift between him and his family. And I mean, I can't possibly imagine judging my daughter if she was to come home and say, you know, I'm, I'm asexual, I'm a lesbian or I'm non-binary or whatever it may be that she's still my daughter and you have to love them and respect them and encourage them and have them feel safe. I can't possibly imagine how unsafe he feels in his own family. Yeah, it's I mean, the like I said, it's it's there's so much that they're saying that parents just letting their kids identify as the gender they want to identify as or that they're feeling. Mm -hmm. It cuts suicide by like 45 percent. I might have the number wrong, but it's somewhere in the 40s. So, I mean, just that simple thing of saying okay if you're you're saying you're you know feeling this gender whatever or whatever you're identifying as 
a parent's support is a huge thing. And like I said, I had my wife's support. My wife was so kind and loving about my gender stuff. She was also experienced in it. But, like, that meant the world to me. That meant that, like, I could kind of, like, you know, go further on my journey. Not that everybody needs a partner, but it is good to have somebody in your corner, you know? Mm. So that boils down to the question what this whole podcast is about. Do we need labels? You know, we do and we don't, Kate. It's important that, you know, to find a label as a person that is exploring, it's extremely important because, like I said, like, when I found the lesbian community, I was like, oh, that's me. And then I felt like I fit a little more. And then I realized as I grew in that, I was just like, "Mm, maybe not. And then I moved over to the non-binary came, oh, I must be non-binary. Actually, after after lesbian, I was like, I guess I'm just bisexual. But bisexual was such a bad word back then. But oh, yeah. labels labels do matter because they help you have a sense of community. They help you feel like you're not nuts. And they feel like, mm. you know, they help you identify part of, you know, you're identifying your journey. So that being said, they do matter. And the double side of that is that they don't really matter because as you're kind of growing and living your life, for me, my labels have changed. And that's okay. It's okay for the labels to change. So they do and they don't matter. But like for somebody to say labels don't matter at all, I feel like that's a little bit naive because Mm -hmm. it's extremely important for me to be able to say, I am non-binary, I'm this, we we didn't actually get to the question, I didn't answer the question that you said about the going to the dermatologist. Sorry. I went to the yeah. dermatologist yesterday. First of all, they only had male and female on the intake. So I just didn't write anything and I wrote NB next to it and in big letters. Oh, good for you. But I mean, on most medical things now, they're saying at least they'll say other, at least. Now, like, you know, but sometimes people are in the dark ages. So I got inside And I'm going to have a revision on one side of my top surgery in a couple weeks because there's just like this extra little bump that she has to take off. Mm -hmm. It's common, you know, whatever. But I took off my shirt to show the dermatologist something that I was like a mole I was having removed. And, you know, it says Barbara on my medical records. I go by Barb. But, um, you know, Barbara is generally a female, you know, scene name. And I could tell that when I was taking my shirt off, I felt immediately like I had to explain my top surgery and why I wanted this mole removed. I wanted the mole removed before they did this, like, small revision on me. And I just felt like I wanted to almost protect them or defend myself for, like, you know, oh, I know it says Barbara, but I... Again, this is all non-binary stuff. If I was a trans man, I would have changed my name to Mike. You know, like, but I'm not, I'm non-binary. So, you know, I'm not going to change my name. My name's Barb. It's always going to be Barb. But I just felt this um, societal pressure to over-explain myself to this brand new doctor who, when I took my shirt off, I clearly did not have a female chest and why I wanted to get this mole removed so soon because it was on the little part that they're going to, like, do the work on. So it was just, yeah. you know, it's 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 a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot to yeah. unpack. And I hope, I would love it if we got to a point in our society that we don't have to explain 
things like this, but the dermatologist was way cool. She didn't bat an eye. She was like, oh, okay, cool. When are they doing the revision? And I said, in like three weeks. She was like, oh, you'll be fine by then. And then she just moved on. Mm. She was completely fine about it. And she obviously saw the NB that I wrote on the gender. (laughs) You know, she obviously saw it. So So going back to pop culture and today, do you feel like we've made some progress now in the media, in all this reality television, and also Caitlyn Jenner. Do you think she has helped? And you know she's running for governor now in California. So talk talk to me about that. Where, where, where are you feeling? I'll answer the first part of the question first, which is do we think we've come far in pop culture? Yes, without a doubt, because... I was just watching a show called Shrill with my wife, and I think we got all the way into the second season, and then I turned to my wife and I said, it was about one of the characters, and I said, oh, wait, she's trans? And my wife was like, yeah, they just didn't make like a big deal out of it. And I thought, wow, we have really broken barriers when like they didn't scream and shout it from the mountaintops that this person, it was just... The fact that she was trans was like a secondary or third or fourth or fifth thing down on the list about this person. And so much so that I didn't even catch it till the second season. So that says a lot. Yeah, that says a lot. However, I don't know whether you read this, but I might not be talking fact right now. But I do know that a contestant of Miss Universe, one of the pageants who won... And then after the fact, they found out she was trans. But that's after the fact. That was somebody who wasn't out about their status. And that's a whole other show. Well, yeah, that is a whole other show. But but the person I was in a relationship with before my wife was not out about who they were. And it was such a sense of it caused such a sense of deep shame on my part, even that I was with this person. So being not being out is like a whole other, that's a whole other topic. Yeah. We do a whole podcast yeah. on that because that's that's an interesting topic. Well, and, and sadly, we're coming to the end of our time, which is just tragic. You don't want to talk about Caitlin because I don't need to. Oh, no, I do. <laughs> I do. I absolutely do. I think we ended in that regard. But I guess on the beauty pageant, why should you have to disclose that you're trans? And why is it that they were disqualified? Is it because she hadn't disclosed? But shouldn't anybody be allowed to be in beauty pageants? Again, this is a this is a whole other podcast, Kate. I mean, this is like yeah. this is like yeah. a this is a deep topic. So, I mean, will I be able to wrap that up in a nutshell? I I think that revealing coming out. It's unique to all of us. You can't do it if it's if you're in danger, you know? Yeah. And there's so there's so many there's yeah. so many ways to like look at this, you know, the whole debate about like, you know, sports, the debate about look at for me personally, do I have to reveal who and what I am when I choose what restroom I go into? Yeah, I was gonna ask you about that. That there's lots of non gender bathrooms now. Some. Which... There's not enough, believe me. There's not enough. I'm confused about that. You know, am I allowed to go into a non-gender bathroom? Of course you are. Well, yeah, but they don't put it, they don't put the rules up. <laughs> you've got the boys, you've got the girls, and then you've got the non-gender. It's like if the boy and the girl, if the girl is 
full. Can I go in the non-gender one? Or am I taking up some space for non-gender folks, right? I mean, there's just so many. In my opinion, you can use it if there's not like, you know, a lot of people, a lot of people, trans people waiting in line. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> but wouldn't that that would be a party <laughs> yeah. so back to caitlin i'd love your thoughts on it I'd um love, i'll just say briefly i don't agree with almost almost everything she's about but i'm glad that she was put in the spotlight so that people in suburban I won't name a place because i don't want to damn a place but like some place that no one knows Trans people, I'm glad that she came through the television to them and mm-hmm. that they were able to have a conversation about her. And maybe, you know, maybe one of their kids is trans and they were the only person that they had to identify with was Caitlin. Then maybe she saved a life or two. But um, I don't mm. I just don't agree with her politics. And, uh, you know, I just don't agree with her politics. That's all. There are many different kinds of trans people. You know, I do, just because she's trans doesn't mean I have to like her. Well, I think she's uh, conservative with her politics, which is amazing because, you know, I won't mention any names, but <laughs> the way that conservative politicians talk about gender and trans people and you name it is horrifying, to say the least. Yeah. But it will be very interesting if she wins, right? I don't think she will. That's going to be very, very... I don't think she will. you never know. You never know. (laughs) True. We've seen stranger things. True. (laughs) We've lived through it. (laughs) Yeah. Bob, this is breaking my heart. I can't believe I have to say goodbye to you. I know. I know. We're going to have to do Um, four more of these, ten more of them. Yes. Oh, so many. But, you know, I'm glad I'm glad you had me on, Kate, and we covered a lot of territory. And like, you know, do labels matter? Yes, they do. And kind of no, they don't. And I hate to give you like a like a vague double double edged sword about that. But they do matter in certain situations. And in the end of the day, they're also like, you know, they're they change. Your labels may change someday. Who knows? Like, you know. Yeah, we don't know. We're all evolving. I'm open. I'm open. Like, you know, I'm totally open. Well, Bob, you have just helped a lot of people either get better educated or people are relating to you right now. Maybe even parents are thinking differently on how they're going to speak to their children. So thank you for being so open to these questions that are hard for a lot of people and for putting us straight on how to communicate. And I think So many people come from a good place and agree that we cannot discriminate in any shape or form. And you've you've helped us to understand that a little better. So we thank you. And thank you for my beautiful piece of music for the podcast. And when the movie is made and all the rest of it, I'm going to get you to do the music composing. I'm here. I can't wait. I I think um, you and me are going to be doing a lot of stuff together. Oh, yes, we are. And I'm coming to stay at your beautiful farm. Please, please do. Yeah. So thanks, Bob. It's so great to see you and hear you and embrace you and love you. So thank you. And we'll have you on soon. Okay. Bye, everybody. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Sex, Body and Soul. Remember, you can find all of my favorite products and resources to support your health and sexual wellness through my one-stop shop, The Body Agency. 
be sure to sign up for our email list at thebodyagency.com for the latest curated recommendations from our industry experts. Thanks for listening.